So Jesus tells this story and about this merchant man who, who is a buyer and seller of pearls. And as we think about pearls, I want us to, to get a historical context in our mind as to, to value that pearls had in biblical days. Now, even today, we recognize pearls as, as being expensive and valuable, but they're not nearly as, as valuable or nearly the status of wealth that they were in biblical times. In fact, we see Pliny the Elder, who was a Roman historian uh, in, in those, uh, those biblical times, who said this about the value of pearls. He said, the first place and the topmost rank among all things of price is held by pearls. Their whole value lies in their brilliance, size, roundness, smoothness, and weight. And so at that time when Jesus is using this pearl as an example of what the kingdom of heaven is like, we just need to recognize historically that even though we think of pearls as being nice and everything today, it was different. The disciples would have heard this, and they would have recognized the immense amount, the extreme amount of value that pearls in and of themselves held. And then on top of that, Jesus talks about this one particular pearl of great price, of great value, of immeasurable value. But this merchant man, when he had found it, he sold all of his other pearls. He sold everything else that he had in order to acquire that one pearl of great price. Now, when we look at, at pearls and part of the historical context here, one of the things that I found interesting when, when looking into this was uh, the way in which that they acquired these pearls was primarily uh, in the, the Persian Gulf area, and they would have divers that would actually dive down some 30 to 40 meters to the bottom of the sea in order to pick the oysters up and to, to carry them back up into the ship. And, and they did this without any sort of technology or scuba gear or any of that, of that uh, stuff of that nature, the technology that would help today. And so these divers actually held on to long ropes that had a weight on the bottom or the end of it. And, and that rope would be released and that weight would actually drag the diver very quickly down to the bottom. And they had a basket and they'd gather those oysters, they'd put them in the basket and they'd swim up uh, as fast as they could, and then of course they would they would go through those oysters and they would find those pearls. However, this practice it was very difficult. Pearls were very rare because of the the difficult nature of acquiring them, and many people in in Jesus's area in that geographical area really didn't even have a clue where pearls came from. There was mystery surrounding pearls that added to its rarity and it added to its value. And so as we think about the, the historical context here, I want us to go back and let's reread the parable that Jesus talks to us about, and let's, let's keep in mind the immense value in this, in this time frame that pearls held. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. But when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And I want to notice three things about this merchant man. He was seeking. He was seeking pearls. He was looking for things. And, and obviously the spiritual application that Jesus is making here is that the kingdom of heaven is that most valuable pearl. But we need to recognize that in life, there are other pearls. There are other things that we see as valuable. There are other things that we, that we dedicate our time, our talent, and our treasure to. But the problem would be if we're not seeking that one good pearl of great price. If we settle for those, those pearls of mediocre value, and this merchant didn't do that. He didn't settle for those pearls. He was seeking goodly pearls, and he found one pearl of great price. When he found it, he recognized its value. Now, if we were going to talk realistically about this pearl, we'd have to say this pearl was probably 
would have been huge. It would have been brilliant. It would have been perfectly round and perfectly smooth. It would have been the most spectacular pearl that anybody had ever seen. And so the image here where normal, normal pearls are already very valuable, this pearl would have been something special and that merchant recognized its value. He knew it when he saw it. He knew it when he found it. And then he took the next step to acquire it. And he sold everything. He sold all of the other pearls. He had a lot of other valuable possessions. He had a lot of other valuable things. He sacrificed it all to acquire this. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what the kingdom of heaven should be like for us. That we are, though we have other valuable things in our life, though we have other things we, we apply our time, our talent, and our treasure to, that when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, it should dwarf everything else. It should be that pearl of great price that is so valuable and so important to us that we're willing to give up everything else to sacrifice every other good thing that we have in life in order to acquire and to keep the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is teaching in this parable. And so as we move forward in our study, I just want us to make sure that we're all on the same page when we talk about what the kingdom of heaven is and that we recognize what the kingdom of heaven is. When I say the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, he is talking about that spiritual kingdom that belongs to God, that belongs to Christ, that you and I can be a part of through salvation, through obedience to the gospel. Jesus taught that this kingdom was something that was spiritual and not physical. We have verses like John 18, 36, where Jesus is speaking to Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, then would my servants fight that I would not be uh, delivered to the Jews. Uh, we have Luke 17, 20 and 21, where Jesus says, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say low here or low there. The kingdom of God is within you. So we need to recognize when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about a kingdom that's not physical. It's not uh, in any particular uh, geographical area. It's a spiritual kingdom. Also taught that that kingdom was something that was going to be established soon after Jesus had taught these things. Matthew 4, 17, he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 9, verse 1, he said there were some in the crowd that day that would not taste of death until they had seen the kingdom of God come with power. So this kingdom of heaven that Jesus preaches and teaches about is a spiritual kingdom that was to be established soon after his teaching on earth. And Jesus himself called it his church in Matthew chapter 16, 18, and 19. And he used the words church and kingdom of heaven interchangeably here in that chapter. And so the kingdom of heaven, as told in this parable in Matthew 13, Jesus is referring to the church, the group of the saved. In fact, Colossians 1.13 tells us that's what happens when we obey the gospel. We are taken out of darkness and we are translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. That heavenly kingdom, that, that eternal kingdom. You see, this kingdom, this church is an eternal one where eternal life is granted to its citizens. Daniel 2 verse 44 prophesied of that great kingdom that would never be destroyed. So when Jesus in Matthew 13 says the kingdom of heaven is like this pearl of great price, we need to recognize what he's talking about. He's talking about membership in the kingdom or the church of Jesus Christ. That kingdom, that church, that membership that brings with it salvation and eternal life and all the other blessings of life, he says that is so valuable and should be so valuable to us that we're willing to get, get rid and sacrifice everything else for it. I want to talk to you tonight for just a few minutes about why the kingdom is the pearl of great price. Why I believe the kingdom of heaven really is that valuable. And we're going to get through the end of my list, and you could probably keep going and add a lot more to the list. Because there's a lot of reasons 
why the kingdom of heaven is the most valuable thing that you'll ever come across and why it should be the priority and the most valuable thing in your life. But I want to give you five reasons why I believe the kingdom of heaven really is that great uh, pearl of immense value. The first is the salvation. It starts here. It starts here and ultimately it ends here. It is the salvation that comes with being a part of that kingdom, that salvation that grants eternal life. And eternal life, the value of eternal life cannot be quantified or measured. It is impossible to compare the value of eternity with anything here in this temporal existence. And so as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we have been granted this eternity, this this immense value of life everlasting that, that certainly is more valuable than our very life, even here, or anything that we may acquire here, any power, any joy, any happiness, any pleasure, anything that we experience in this life, it cannot compare to the eternity that awaits us. And yet for the ages of mankind's past, there have been people that have asked the questions like, what is the purpose of man? What is man's reason for being? Why are we here? I can tell you why we're here. We're here to glorify God in everything that we do. We're here to treat others as God has treated us. We're here to seek the salvation of other people as God has granted to us salvation. And we're ultimately here to transition from this temporal existence into the eternal existence that waits for us, where we will be in paradise with God our Father, with Jesus our Savior, with the Holy Spirit, and with every saint of every age that is a member of this same kingdom. And that's an immeasurable value. And so the first reason why I do believe that this kingdom of heaven is really the pearl of great price, as Jesus talked about, is because of eternal life. It starts there and it ends there. And I hope that each and every one of you listening appreciate fully the eternal life that you've been granted through the salvation in Jesus Christ. The second reason I believe the kingdom really is the pearl of great price is because through being members of God's kingdom or Christ's kingdom, we have been given a moral standard. And you say, well, how is a moral standard something that actually makes the kingdom of heaven better or more valuable than anything else? Isn't a moral standard just a list of things we can and can't do? Isn't a moral standard restrictive? Well, some people see it that way. But in reality, the moral standard that God has given to us in Scripture is actually a guidebook for how to live a better, more fulfilling, more successful, and yes, even healthier life. Now, what exactly am I saying there? Am I saying that that this is a prosperity gospel, and if you follow certain things in the Bible, that God's just going to grant you success and and wealth, and he'll never let you get sick or or feel pain or, or tragedy? No, it's not what I'm saying. It's not what the scriptures teach. But the reality and the fact of the matter is when we follow the standard in Scripture, our lives will quantifiably be better. I want to give you a few examples of why that is. According to the World Health Organization, there are more than 30 different STDs, including bacteria, viruses, and parasites. All of these things come as a result of sin, come as as a result of going against the moral code or the moral standard of God's word. Over 75 million people have been infected by one of those diseases. Over 32 million people have died as a result, all because of a deviation from that moral standard of Scripture. I just want you to consider when it comes to to health issues, to disease, to some of those things, certainly there's, there's 
uh, plenty of disease and, and health issues out there that are not dependent upon free will and choice and all that. But I want us to recognize that if everybody were living according to the moral standard, many of these things would not exist. Many of these things would not plague people, would not cause people pain, and would not cause loss of life. Because if you're living according to the moral standard, you're not going to participate in activities that would lead to these things. The moral standard leads to a better life. I'll give you another example. Over 61 million abortions have taken place in the United States since 1973. That is a horrifying number, and that's just in our country. I believe this issue of abortion is one of the great tragedies of American culture and American society. Over 61 million people killed as a result of choice, as a result of a devaluation of life. When the reality is, if we lived according to the moral standard, the moral code of the scriptures, and we valued all life, there'd be 61 million more people around today. The moral standard that God gives us, it will make a better society and a better life for us if we'll follow it. The reality is, though, we, we can't control people. We can't control others. We can't control our society. We can't control the decisions that other people make. But what we can control is our decisions, and we can control our family and our life and our small community and, and our small group of people that we have an influence on. And if we'll live according to the, the moral standard of the scripture, our small existence in the grand scheme of the world and the billions of people that exist, our small existence will be better for it. It'll be better for it. The biblical standard of morality would effectively eliminate violence, domestic abuse, child abuse, sexual abuse, pornography, racism, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and most, if not all, free will-based societal problems. Think about that. If the whole world were living according to the standard of the Bible, think about the world that would be. Make for a much better world. And unfortunately, as we've said before, we, we can't control the world. We can control us. And in our little corner of the world, those things can be true. And our lives will be better for, the, for having followed the moral standard that God has given us. I want to implore you this evening, when you think about what it means to be a member of the kingdom of heaven and, and the, the moral standard or code of morality that God has given to you as a Christian, I want you to consider it not as a list of restrictions, not as a list of things that you can't do that you really want to do. I want you to remember that it is a guidebook to a better existence and a better life, if you'll follow it. And so that's the second reason that I believe the kingdom of heaven really is the pearl of great price. The third reason is the family structure that God has given to us through his scripture and in his kingdom, what he expects of us as a family. And when we think about the family as it's outlined in scripture, we recognize that there's one man and one woman that come together in the bonds of marriage, and many times there are kids as a result of that union, as a result of that marriage. And so we see a dad, we see a mom, and we see kids in a home together, working, having a relationship together with the father leading the home, with the mother loving her husband and being submissive to her husband, with the father, the husband loving his wife. And, and listening and, and having a good, strong, godly, dedicated marriage to each other. And we see kids who are being parented well by parents that talk and communicate to each other and work hard to raise good, equipped children, children that are equipped to become adults, not only in society, but as members of the kingdom of heaven themselves. This family structure is under attack, and it has been attacked, under attack for a long time. 
unfortunately, in our country. And there's a lot of negative consequences that come with the breakup of the family structure as God has designed. And I just want you to consider a couple of things about our family structure. In the United States, the divorce rate is about 50%. One out of every two marriages end in divorce. And some of the top reasons include infidelity, money problems, communication issues, fighting or arguing, and domestic abuse. And I want you to consider those five reasons. If we have husbands that are committed to being good, godly husbands, and we have wives committed to being good, godly wives, you know what we're not going to have? We're not going to have infidelity, and we're going to have husbands and wives that get on the same page about money, that communicate well with each other because they care, love, and respect each other. We're going to have husbands and wives that aren't arguing like cats and dogs, fighting like cats and dogs all the time. We're going to have husbands and wives that are not the victims or the perpetrators of domestic abuse. Because when we follow the moral code, when we follow the family structure as God has outlined, it creates a wonderful and beautiful family and wonderful relationships inside of that family. When we go against the pattern, it creates problems. And there's a lot of negative effects both to spouses when marriages break up and to kids when marriages break up. When kids are now confused and going to multiple homes and seeing different cultures and different things taught, and it's a struggle. In our society today, we have a lot of homes that are without fathers. We talked about this uh, last year in the area-wide meeting, and it was all about fatherhood and being the right kind of father, the kind of father that God has called you to be. And certainly there, there are motherless homes as well. And, and either way, single-family homes, it, it, it's harder. It's harder. It makes it more difficult because it's, it's, a, it's different from the standard that God has set. But I want to give you an example of a fatherless home and some of the consequences that come along with that. If you can see this chart here, it's from the National Fatherhood Initiative. It says, the father absence crisis in America. There is a crisis in America. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, nearly 20 million children, more than one in four, live without a father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all of the societal ills facing America today. Research shows that when a child is raised in a father absent home, he or she is affected in the following ways. And you can see those on your screen. Four times greater risk of poverty. Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. Uh, more likely to have behavioral problems, to, to face abuse and neglect. Uh, greater risk of even infant mortality, uh, more likely to, to, to abuse drugs and alcohol, to go to prison, to suffer from obesity, to commit crime, to drop out of school. All of these things are much more likely in fatherless homes. Why do you think that that is? Because God's design, the family structure that he put in place, provides a father and a mother raising children together. It provides stability. It provides a spiritual environment that is good for children to grow up in, especially, of course, when we're talking about Christian parents, Christian moms and dads. I just want us to remember, folks, that the, there's a reason that God designed things a certain way. When we do it the way that God has designed it, it's better for everybody involved. Now, we recognize, of course, that there are situations we find ourselves in that are no fault of our own. And there may be a spouse that becomes selfish and, and leaves, and, and, and it wasn't the fault of the other spouse. And then they tried hard, and, and they maintained their spirituality and Christianity through that. Those situations certainly are real and exist. But even in that situation, I think most Christian people put in that situation would recognize that it makes it much more difficult and much harder 
And certainly it doesn't make it impossible. And that's part of what community is for. That's part of what the church is for, which is my fourth reason why the kingdom of heaven really is that pearl of great price really is something of immeasurable value because we get the support, the love, and the friendship of a community of believers behind us. So that when we struggle, when we, when we have issues in this life, we have people that we can rely on, that we can turn to. That's one of the greatest blessings about being a Christian, about being a citizen of the kingdom, is the community that's involved. I like to this, this graph, this statistic, uh, and it's by Gallup. And they, they put together uh, the results of, of polls, of course, that, uh, that they put together, put out. And, and this is the result, and it shows the average number of daily positive and negative emotions by church attendance okay so let me explain what the what the graph is showing that green line that's going up that's the number of positive emotions that people had each and every day okay and so there on the bottom it's showing the people who have never gone to church seldom go to church go to church once a month almost every week or at least once a week and the more church attendance that there is the happier people are the more positive thoughts and positive emotions they have in their life each day. And on the flip side of the coin, that blue line is showing us the negative thoughts and negative emotions. And for people who never go to church, it's higher. And then it drops a lot lower for people that go to church consistently. It's just interesting to me that even statistically, even from a society and an organization that has no interest in promoting Christian values, what we see is that the real effect of coming to church, of attending services, of being with our, the community of believers, worshiping our God, is it has a positive effect in our life. It makes us happier and more positive each and every day. And so I just want us to recognize there's no better community. Let me go back. There's no better community uh, than the church. And I, I know many of you have heard this story, but I want to tell it for those that may not have heard. But we lived this. We lived this very, very, in a very real way. Uh, when my mom passed away in 2013, Leah and I were living in Harlingen, and we were uh, planning, planning to move like four days later after I got the call about my mom's accident. And so we were in the process of packing up our apartment. We were trying to put things in boxes, but we were, I mean, we weren't even halfway through packing. Of course, I got the call, and, and we jumped in the car, and we drove up to Houston. Well, all of our stuff still in Harlingen. One of our cars is in Harlingen, um, wrapping everything up, handing keys over to the, to the property manager, and all of that stuff hadn't been done. I, of course, did not care in that moment. But as we're walking through the next few very difficult days, you know, it's in the back of my mind going, we're supposed to be out of the apartment. All of this stuff is supposed to be done. The church in Harlingen, North 7th Street, uh, the members there, they went over to our apartment. They put everything that was there in boxes. They picked up our truck for us. They loaded everything up. They grabbed our second car. They drove our truck full of belongings and the second car up to Houston while also cleaning the apartment out, wiping everything down, cleaning it very nicely so we'd get our deposit back and handing keys off to the property manager. The church there, our community, did that for us because they knew we were hurting and they knew we had, we had a great need. And so they walked up to me when they got into town and they handed me the keys and they said, it's taken care of. 
Don't worry about it. I want you to know there's no better community than church family. There's a lot of good people, a lot of good people in the world. Nobody better than our church family. The kingdom of heaven really is the pearl of great, great price. I really believe that. Starts and ends with salvation and the eternal life we're granted. Contributes to it, to that moral standard. Contributes to it. The guidebook for living a better life, the family structure, the great relationships, the marriages, the, the better equipped kids, all of those things are all reasons why I believe it. Community as well. The people that you get to spend this life with, the friendships you get to build, the deep relationships you have with others centered around Christ and centered around God. There's nothing like it. The final reason I'm going to mention to you tonight why I believe the kingdom of heaven really is that pearl of great price is it gives you a spiritual view on life. And that provides you comfort, contentment, and peace. And the older I get, the, the more I, I realize how contentment and peace, those things really are extremely important to Christians as we walk through life. Being able to, to live peaceably, live those quiet and peaceable life lives that the scripture talks about. Just being able to be a Christian and worship and, and, and live my, my great marriage and, and raise my kids as Christians and, and live with kindness and treat people the way that God, God calls us to. All of those things, it's just, it's just a valuable part of life. Also provides us comfort for tragedies, for loss, for death. Our spiritual view on life makes us recognize that this life is temporal, that it will end, and that's okay. Life ends. But our lives as Christians, our souls, they don't end. They have eternity. They have eternal life. We've been granted that as members of the kingdom. So that spiritual mindset, that spiritual view of life, it provides a godly sorrow that recognizes that this life is not what it's all about. And that's an immense amount of value provided. Because when you don't have the hope of heaven, when you don't have the expectation of eternal life, this life is all there is. And so it makes a tragedy or it makes contracting a disease at, a, at an early age or, or anything else terrible that we imagine, it makes those things that much worse because we have to believe that this is all we get. Reality is for Christians, we recognize those things aren't fun to deal with. They aren't fun to go through. There's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering sometimes that we have to, we have to deal with in life. But at the end of this story, no matter how our lives end, our lives don't really end. We get to transition to a new and better life in eternity. And so we could continue with this list. We could keep going about all of the great aspects of the kingdom, the great aspects of the church. But I hope this makes sense, what I'm trying to get across this evening. The kingdom of heaven really is that valuable. It really is that pearl of great price that has immeasurable value it's better than all of the other things in life. And there's a lot of other things in life that are great. But God wanted us to have the best. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. God and Jesus want us to be rich. But we're going to be rich, not in the things of this life, but rich in eternity. Rich in those things that help us in this life, but also gain us that eternal life forever.
So what is the most important thing in your life tonight? And as we walk through the, the last few minutes of our message tonight, I want you to seriously consider this question. What's the most important thing? Is it your family? You know, family's great. A lot of great blessings to our family. This family, the most important thing in your life? Is it, are your kids or your spouse or your grandkids, are they the number one thing in your life that you'd sacrifice everything else for? You know, we, we say that a lot of times when it comes to our family. But there's a real cost sometimes to becoming a Christian. Jesus talked about it in Scripture. But some, sometimes there's a cost, and sometimes that cost is family. Sometimes parents don't understand. Sometimes spouses don't want to stay with, with a Christian, with a person that converts to Christianity. Sometimes it strains relationships with kids that don't agree with, with the Christian lifestyle or belief. There's a real cost sometimes to relationships. Are you going to prioritize your family over the church? Or are you going to say, the kingdom of heaven is that great pearl, and I'm prioritizing it even over my family. As great as my family is, I would sacrifice them for the kingdom of heaven. What is most important? Is it your family or is it the kingdom? What about your job? Some people might say my job's the most important thing. My job is how I make a living. It's how I provide for my family. If I didn't have my job, I wouldn't be able to make that living. We'd be destitute. We'd be homeless. All of those things. My job's the most important thing. Is, is it really? We, jobs are great. Jobs are important. Jobs can give, can give us a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment uh, on the day-to-day -day of, of, of being creative and, and accomplishing things and all of that. And they provide a living and all, all of that's important. But if you lost the job, if the, if the entire country just, just went into tank mode and there were no jobs and everybody's destitute and homeless and all those things, it'd be terrible. Is it worth giving up your salvation and worth giving up the kingdom of heaven for? I want you to think about a more realistic scenario when it comes to job. Maybe, maybe your job wants you to move and there's not a community of believers near where you'd have to go. Maybe your job wants you to do something dishonest. Maybe your boss asks you to do something dishonest. What's the most important thing to you? Is it your job? Keeping your job? Is it that raise? Is, is it that promotion? Or is it the kingdom? What's more important? Somebody says, my health. My health is the most important thing because, you know, if I lose my health, then I can't work. It limits what I can do with my family. It changes the whole dynamic of life. And that's certainly true. And there's a lot of people that suffer from, from, from health issues and have to walk through life in constant pain and, and suffering. And, and we hate it. We hate that that's the case. But is health more important than, than the kingdom, than eternal life, than the, the spiritual gift of salvation? Sometimes uh, we think about health, as we already mentioned tonight. There's a lot of things we can't control. There, there are some aspects of our health that we can. When we live according to the, the moral code and the things that God has outlined in Scripture, it's better for us. What's more important? What do you focus your time and your energy on? Some people get real into working out. I'm not one of them, but, but some people get really into that and, and, and really into getting fit and all that. All that's great. Is it the most important thing or is the kingdom more important? What about financial security? You know, a lot of people want to trust that, hey, they're, they're going to be taken care of and, and they're financially secure for their future, for their retirement, all that. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with, 
uh, with, with having money. The scriptures talk about that. What does Paul tell Timothy to teach the rich? Charge them that they be not high-minded, that they don't think of themselves as better than anybody else, and that they don't trust in uncertain riches. Because you know what? Riches are uncertain. Money is uncertain. It can be here today, and it can be gone tomorrow. The worst can happen, and we can lose everything. Is, is, is our life over in that scenario? What about just the day-to-day grind and what we're working for? Are we spending all of our time, energy, and effort on building the physical treasure rather than building that treasure in heaven that Jesus told us to focus on? Where's your heart? It's really what this is about. Where's your heart? Maybe it's social causes or or your personal opinions about things. There's there's a lot of things that we can get involved in socially and and groups and different communities that have different causes and, and different things they're trying to accomplish. Some of those may be great. Is it more important than the kingdom? Do those things overshadow your love of Christ in the church? When people think of you, do they think about your social cause or do they think about your faith? What do they think of first when they see or hear your name? Politics. You know, there's not a lot we can control. We can do our part as Americans. We can go vote. We can go uh, have a voice. We have a lot of freedoms uh, in this country. But is our political affiliation more important than our Christian affiliation, more important than our kingdom affiliation? Is, does everything boil down to, to Republican or Democrat, or does it boil down to, to godly or not? to scripturally or not, to members of the kingdom do this or not. What's more important to us, the kingdom or politics? What about entertainment and pleasure? There's a lot of things that we can, we can get involved in that are fun, that are very enjoyable, very, very pleasurable in life. But you walk too far down that road, it's real easy to slip into entertainment and pleasure that's ungodly. What are we seeking after? Are we gratifying flesh or are we gratifying spirit? Part of our goal as Christians in this life is to control the flesh by walking after the spirit. What are we seeking in this life? What controls us? Our bodies or our spirit, our mind? What about education? Education can be important. Education can can do a lot of things for you in this life. Is education the most important thing? You have to go to that school. You have to get that degree. You have to go to that school that's hundreds of miles away from family or church or those sorts of things. Do you really? Do you really? Or is there a way for you to get a good education and still be a dedicated, active member of Christ Church? Where's your heart? We could keep going with this list, but I'm going to stop. What's the most important thing in your life? What is your pearl of great price? I hope that it's the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The reality is in order to obtain the pearl of great price, that merchant had to go sell all of his other pearls. And it doesn't mean that we have to get rid of our families and get rid of our job and get rid of our money and get rid of all of those. That's not what it means. That's not what Jesus is telling us. What he's telling us is we have to be willing to do all of that, and we have to prioritize those things far less than we prioritize him. We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. 
And Jesus said, we can't have both. You know, many people try to live one foot in and one foot out. Many people try to live in the spiritual and the physical at the same time. Reality is we can't. We have to choose. We have to choose what's going to be our pearl of great price. What is going to be the most important thing to us? Jesus said, no man can serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other or else you will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's impossible to do both. You can't prioritize the kingdom of heaven and money. You can't prioritize the church and your job. You can't do both. What we're being called to as Christians is to use our family, our job, our health, our financial security, our social causes, our politics, our, our entertainment, our education, and everything else about our life to use those things to glorify him and to glorify the kingdom. But to subjugate those things so that if there is ever anything that is out of line, we prioritize the church first because we recognize its immense value to us. Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 21 and 22, this is to the, to the rich young ruler who came up to Jesus and, and he said, what am I lacking? And Jesus said, you've got to keep the law. And he said, I've kept all of these things to my youth up. What do I lack? And Jesus said, if you'll be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Here's a man that did a lot of things right but he was unwilling to go all the way. He was unwilling to fully commit. He was unwilling to sell everything that he had to purchase that pearl of great price. And he walked away without his salvation that day. And I want you to know as sobering of a thought as it is, or may be, if we are unwilling to give up these other pearls in our life, if we are unwilling to place the kingdom of heaven as the number one priority in our life, then we unfortunately will face eternity and face a judgment where we have to try to explain to God why he was not the most important thing in our life. And as Jesus has taught us over and over in scripture, that excuse will not fly. God is asking us to make him the priority. He is asking us to see his kingdom as the most valuable thing in our life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The reality is all the things that we worry about, all these other pearls, all of these other aspects of our life, they will all fall into place. Our life will be better if we seek the kingdom of God first. All of those other things will take care of themselves. Yes, we go to work. We do the things that we need to do in life. We spend time with our family, but we do all of those things. Number one, because God has asked us to, as members of his kingdom, that we live good, productive, responsible lives in our family, in our community, in our society. And so really, a reflection of Christ is how we act in all of those other areas of our life. But those pearls are not as important, and we cannot prioritize any of those things over the kingdom. We must seek the kingdom of God and keep, uh, seek his righteousness first. If we do that, all these things will be added unto you. So as we wrap up this evening, I want to ask you, just as that merchant man in this parable, he was seeking good, goodly pearls. He recognized the value that that pearl of great price had. He sold all that he had to acquire it. I want to ask you tonight, maybe you haven't been seeking God. Maybe you're, you're on this, uh, this stream tonight, and maybe you've never come to him. Maybe you've not really sought him. Seek him. Be diligent about finding him. Hopefully tonight we've spoken about the kingdom enough that you have found him and know what it is that you need to do to obey that gospel and be a part of this kingdom. You need to be seeking God. If you've already become a Christian, you still need to seek him each and every day as that merchant sought that great pearl. 
You also need to recognize the value. And if you're here tonight and you've not been recognizing the immense value that the kingdom of heaven has in your life, if you've not given it its due, then please start tonight to recognize the impact and effect it can have in your life in a positive way if you'll just let it. Maybe you're here tonight and you've not been willing to sell everything. Maybe you've been trying to do the one foot in, one foot out thing. Maybe you've been trying to serve two masters. I tell you, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You've got to pick. I want to encourage you tonight. Don't pick the mediocre pearl, the pearl of relatively little value. Pick the pearl of great price. Pick the kingdom of heaven. Be dedicated to it. Live it. Be 100% all in as a Christian. And when you do that, your life here on earth, and of course in eternity, will be better for it. Matthew 13, 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. But when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. 